through 17. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrite! Do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. The word of the Lord. I want to tell you who I am. I'm the leader of the synagogue that's being talked about in here. This fellow, Luke, a physician, I understand, doesn't mention my name. So I won't either, clearly an oversight on his part. But I'm in charge of the synagogue. If you don't understand what that means, let me explain it to you. Synagogue has been around for over 500 years. During the Babylonian captivity, when our people were hauled off to Babylon, we couldn't go to the temple. And so the people began to meet for teaching about the Word of God. In fact, the word synagogue comes from the word synagogus, which means to come together. So when our people were able to come back into Israel, our tradition of synagogue continued. And so in this time of the Bible, synagogues would meet on the Sabbath every Sunday. Indeed, there were even 550 synagogues in Jerusalem itself. The synagogue was a place of teaching where the traditions and the biblical laws that were given to our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, could be spoken. And it was run by people such as myself, usually a small committee with a chief person. And that person was often a lay person, such as myself. I'm a business person in the community. But usually it's the prominent people that ran the synagogue. Because frankly, we are the ones in charge of making sure that it keeps going. You know, I'll be frank with you, I don't tell this to everyone, but without me continuing to put money into this synagogue, it wouldn't exist. I care about this place more than anyone else, and I want to make sure that it continues to run and run in the way that it should. As such, because I am the chief elder of the synagogue, I get to choose the speaking schedule. So when this person, this rabbi named Jesus came along into our town, I thought to myself, I want to hear what this man has to say. Some thought it was a little bit crazy. He was a bit of a controversial figure. But I wanted to hear. I'd heard some good things. And so I reached out to this Jesus and invited him to come into the synagogue. It was clear that he respected the synagogue because as was his custom every Sunday, he was there preaching. And so he came, and he selected the text. He conferred with me what he wanted to speak on, or so I thought. 
And when it was his time, he went up to the front of the synagogue to do his thing. That's when things went sideways. Because instead of starting to expound upon the scriptures, Jesus looks in the back of the synagogue. And he sees this woman, this crippled woman. How he saw her, I don't have a clue. Because this woman is literally, if you were to see her, almost bent over double. Something has happened to her. Some physical thing, something I don't exactly know. She's cursed by God. Who knows what happens to people like this? Why she's in this condition, I don't know. It's just been that way all the time. But it means that she's almost half the height of anyone else. Of course, she doesn't sit in the front. She's not one of the leading people. So how is it that Jesus saw her? I don't know. But Jesus then proceeds to call her forward. He didn't confer with me about that. Is he going to have this woman teach the scriptures? No, he calls her forward. And then he says to her these words, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And she stands up. I can't believe it. This passage here says I'm indignant. That's not even accurate. I'm furious. I'm seething that this man would do this. This is the Sabbath of all things. Has he not read the law? Remember the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant. I'm not even a rabbi and I know that. And so this rabbi has the temerity to call upon God and to have her freed from her suffering. Our law is very clear and the Sabbath is very clear. I follow the commands. I'm righteous. I'm the synagogue ruler for God's sake. And the people start to erupt. We're losing control. I have to set an example. This man is violating the Sabbath and so I speak out. There are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. I speak to the people, not even to Jesus. Who knows where this guy is? But these people should know. And this man, Jesus, turns to me and calls me a hypocrite. He's the hypocrite teaching things contrary to God's law. God, remember this man for what he has done. And remember me. For I am zealous for your law. I want to come out of my character and back into my Cherokee self, Pastor Carlos. You know, it's interesting when you get in the mind of people. What, one of the things I've discovered is people always think they're right. You can go visit a mass murderer and he thinks he's right. The truth is you can think that you're right, but be very wrong. And we have to ask the question, how did this man get like this? Where a person who is crippled comes and be healed and is healed, and this man's response is to be furious. The word in the Greek indignant is literally seething. How does he respond like this? What's going on in his heart and his head? We need to understand so we can understand and take a look at ourselves. I want this man in some ways to be like a mirror to help us gaze upon our own soul.
Now, first of all, let's take a look at this man's attitude toward the woman. Now, this woman has been crippled for 18 years, it says. Now, it's not like this person, this synagogue ruler just came to town, okay? It wasn't like he just got transferred by Norfolk Southern, Northern, uh, Norfolk Southern, you know, to the area. He's known her for 18 years. He's walked down the street and there she is shuffling along with her head to the ground. Yet for some reason, he has literally zero compassion for her. His response is more dealing with the Sabbath. And it's very interesting. He, he's using the Sabbath, that Deuteronomy 5, but the scriptures don't really define what work is. It's rather a judgment call on his part. He's making that decision. He's thoroughly religious, and yet he's thoroughly wrong. So the first thing I want to talk about is religion and what it is and what it does to people. My definition of religion would simply be this, that religion is a system of practices that one does in order to be right with God, to have a right status with God. And this man appears to be thoroughly religious. And God gave to the Israelites the law of God to know how to behave. But based on that law, the Jews have developed a religious system. A way to keep score, if you will, of who's right before God and who's wrong. And clearly they have gone off the reservation because of the way Jesus responds. Now there are all sorts of commandments in uh, the Old Testament law. Some of them are very um, difficult to quantify. How do you know what it really means to um, worship the Lord your God and to serve Him only? To have no other gods before Him? That's a tough one. And so what happened in this religious system is they started throwing out, not on purpose perhaps, the laws that they couldn't quantify and keeping a score sheet of the things that they could quantify. And one of those was on the Sabbath. This seems like an easy one. Don't work on the Sabbath. And so that was one of the key laws. And those became ingrained. This is the way to know whether you're right or wrong. And so built into this man's heart and into the culture was a religious system that Jesus Christ came to tear apart. There's a religious system in Judaism, but there's a religious system in all sorts of different places. All a religious system is, is what you have to do in order to get right with God. If I was to go down on the boardwalk right now and ask someone if they were right with God, if they were going to go to heaven if they died, eight out of ten of them would say yes. And if I was to ask the question why, they would say because I'm a good person. There's a religious system that they've created that helps them, uh, uh, that gives them whatever data they need to say, I am a good person. But here is what religion does, my friends. Here's what it's done in this person's heart. Number one, religion blinds you to the presence and work of God. Think about this. The Son of God is walking into the synagogue. The only time in the history of mankind when God has walked the earth for three years and standing before this man. And Jesus does this unbelievable work of God in this person's life. 
I mean, he's never seen anything like this physically. He's known this woman for 18 years. And yet this man is utterly blind to the presence and work of God. Why? Because in a religious system, you are God. See, religion isn't actually a way for you to reach God. Religion is a way for you to keep God at arm's length. It's a way to make a deal with God. God, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to check off the things that are necessary. And as a result, you have to do your part. It's an agreement. It's an arm's length agreement with God. And so he has no idea who God is. Because God's been put in his place safely away in a box. Religion blinds you to the presence and work of God. Number two, religion blinds you to people. This person is not a person, this woman. This person is a thing to this man. She's a problem to be solved. She's an annoyance. Does he even know her name? I don't know. But she's not valuable. She's simply a thing. Religion blinds you to the suffering of others. The pain of this woman means nothing to this man. It's like he doesn't even have a heart. He's so focused on himself and where he has to be that he has no space in his heart for anyone else. And so he feels no compassion for this woman. Now I want you to use this man as a mirror to peer into your own soul with whatever religion you follow. What is your relationship with God? Is he close to you? Is it intimate? Is it emotional and rich? Or is it simply an arm's length agreement? I do everything right. I come on Sunday. I tithe. I may even volunteer. And when I go into my business during the week or in my home, I keep my nose clean. I don't curse. I don't dress in a provocative way. I look down on those who do. I've got everything lined up perfectly. All my I's dotted. All my T's cross. On the outside, I look wonderful. But I want to ask you the question, not what you do, but rather why you do it. Do you love him, God? Does your love for God move you in such a way that it changes the way that you live? It changes the way that you love. It changes how you see the world. Has your religion moved from your head to your heart? What about with people? Are they really people or are they simply things? Tools to help you get what you want. Problems to be solved. Annoyances to be avoided. Does their suffering move your heart? Or there's simply a bunch of blind spots in my field of vision. Those who don't agree with me, I simply set to the side. I find it ironic that there's actually two people who are bound in this story. A woman who is loosened 
And yet this synagogue ruler who leaves the synagogue with the chains even tighter around his soul. My friends, religion cannot save you. A system of getting right with God by your own abilities cannot save you. It is rather like a millstone chained around your neck that will ultimately drown you in the heart of the sea. If you decide to live by religion, you are blind to God and blind to others and you will not see them. But I didn't come here just to talk about religion. I want to talk to you about grace. The eyes of grace. Because even though this man is blind, Jesus sees quite clearly, doesn't he? I love the first point. Jesus saw her. The synagogue system was like a caste system. The most important people sat toward the front. The most learned people. The further away people, they sat further and further back. So this woman was clearly in the back. Luke was a physician. He speaks often in the scriptures about the physical condition of people. And based on his description, I can tell you what is most likely the condition of this woman. It's called spondylitis ankylopoetica, a condition that I often uh, ruminate about. <laughs> it's characterized by chronic inflammation causing pain and stiffness of the back, progressing to the chest and neck. Eventually, the whole back may become curved and inflexible if the bones fuse. It's painful and it's progressive and some, and in rare cases, all of the spinal joints and vertebrae fuse together. The Greek literally says that she was bent over double. So imagine how this woman sees the world. Upside down. Her head is down here. In fact, if you want to talk to this person, you have to get down to her level. So imagine trying to walk like this. It was the last time you actually could see the world. All she sees is her ankles and her feet. And so how is it that Jesus could see this woman in the back of the synagogue who is half the height of everyone else? Because grace sees. This woman had been crippled, the scriptures say, by a spirit for 18 years. Now, is all sickness spiritual? It says she's been, the result of this, uh, this condition is she's been crippled by a spirit. In one sense, all sickness is spiritual. We live in a fallen world. We know regarding this condition, there are some genetic components of it. Death is in man. We were not designed to die. But there is a fallenness inside of us because of the sinful condition. But it appears, but it doesn't mean that it's her fault. You know, there's one time that Jesus' disciples turn to Jesus and they see a man born blind and they say, who sinned? This person or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. Rather, this was done so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. God uses sickness in some particular cases to glorify him. We don't understand how God does that. But the work of God I've seen displayed often more in people who are, who are sick than those who are. Neither. So this woman 
clearly is spirit oppressed in some way, but not possessed. There's a specific targeting in this instance. For Jesus says to her, woman, you are set free. Jesus' heart goes out to this woman, and in healing her, she uses the, he uses the word, woman, you are set free, or you are unbound. This man's response was deal with that later. But Jesus' response is, you are set free. The man uses the uh, Deuteronomic commandment, and Jesus responds, you hypocrite. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? See, that commandment on the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5 also says, the, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not do any work, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of the animals, nor the alien within your gates. And so Jesus says, wait a second. If man is not supposed to do any work, well, neither are oxen. And don't you take your oxen and your sheep and unbind them and lead them to do good to them? You unloose them? Should not this woman who is bound? See, he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. And what he's communicating to him is you have totally missed what the Sabbath is about. You know the Sabbath is actually mentioned five times in this story? This story is really about the Sabbath. Because at the end of that commandment of the Sabbath, why they're supposed to follow the Sabbath, it says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In other words, the reason there's a Sabbath in the first place is to remember that the Israelites have been unbound by God from the slavery of the Egyptians. That's why there's a Sabbath. You know, when Jesus began his public ministry, it was in a synagogue. And in fact, this is the last time Jesus will speak in a synagogue. From then on, they're trying to kill him. But the words that Jesus spoke, the first words of his ministry on the Sabbath day in the synagogue were these. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He sat down in front of the people, assuming the position of a rabbi, and said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, on this Sabbath, my ministry of freedom to the prisoners, release to the oppressed begins. It makes perfect sense, my friends, is what I'm saying, that he would release her on the Sabbath because he's showing physically what he came to do spiritually and ultimately physically. You may know what the word Sabbath means, Shabbat in Hebrew, which means ceasing or stopping. It's actually, uh, etymologically speaking, I never get the chance to use the word etymologically, so I'm glad I did. This is very different than the green bean, the edamame bean. Seven and Shabbat are tied together. It's where we get the word seven, the end of the week. We stop, we cease, we rest. 
And so if you were a good Jew and it was the Sabbath day, your greeting to other people would be Shabbat Shalom. Because at the end, there's wholeness, Shalom, completeness. It is in the ceasing and the stopping that you receive wholeness. Jesus came and is showing us in this picture with this woman the picture of Shabbat Shalom. We are meeting, my friends, gathering, synagoguing on the Sabbath day. But one thing has changed. It's not the seventh day. It's the first day of the week now. Christians moved the Sabbath to the first day of the week. Why? Because the rest is no longer at the end. The rest is at the beginning. The rest is now. It's not what is to be done, it's what has been done. See, this woman is set free now. But Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And in a very short time, Jesus will be bound. Jesus will be tied. Jesus will be mocked and crucified and spit upon and killed. And Jesus will take to himself the binding of that woman and he will die on the cross and he will unbind the human race of his redeemed people through rising from the dead see my friends the unbinding is now the gospel is preached today and he unbinds today the point I'm trying to make my friends is that Jesus sees you. Jesus came to untie you and to unbind you. So are you bound? Is there a hardness of your heart? I've bought into this whole religion idea. But I have no love for God and no love for others. Because I'm so bound that I can't even see the fact that this is the one who came to set me free. Do you want to be unbound? I don't know where this woman's heart was. We automatically think she was a great person. But she had the sense to do one thing. When Jesus had come, she came. And Jesus loosed her. But Jesus also in loosing her body, loosed her heart. Because it says that she straightened up and she praised God. She will grow old and die. We are all terminal, my friends, in different stages. Yet today is the day of release. And if you are a Christian, yet outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. It's not something you get after seven days, the peace of God, the love of God. It's today. So come, surrender your heart. Be straightened by God. Whatever condition you are, we, my friends, this church, 
is the fellowship of the unbound. Redeemer Presbyterian. We meet on the first day. You know, there's a natural response of an unbound people to gather together. Whenever there's a victory experience, you want to share it with others who can understand it and revel in it. It's like putting a bunch of logs on a fire, you know? Take one log and set it aside, it burns out. Put a bunch together, it creates a bonfire. We praise and we worship. We'll have an opportunity tonight to praise and worship with the body of Christ. People that look nothing like us at the sportsplex, some of them, and do not know our situation, and we don't know theirs. And we are the fellowship of the unbound. The other response that comes out of the fellowship of the unbound is love. Love is our marker. Love is our identity. The grace of Jesus Christ gives us a vision to see people. And not only to see them, but to identify with them. To have compassion with them. To bend over so that we might see them. Has grace moved your heart in such a way that you love? He gives us the great privilege to preach the gospel to them. To unbind them. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of salvation. You have the message of what God's done in your life if you are a Christian. And the tremendous privilege to go to the person and to share with them that which makes them free. Seek first the kingdom of God. Go and make disciples of all people. When the gospel moves our hearts in such a way that our hearts overflow with love, then it will be clear that Redeemer Presbyterian exists and is on the map. It's love that transforms people. Let it transform you. And let God use you individually and us corporately to transform the world. Today is the day of release. Today is the day of Jubilee. Christ has come. Christ has freed us. Let us live as free men and women as we anticipate the final day when the liberation of all will occur. Praise God. Shabbat Shalom. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see. Most of all, help us to see our own hearts. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who has not come forth and receive the touch and hand of God, His forgiveness and grace, that even now that they would open their hearts to You and that You would unbind them. Lord, help us to live as unbound people on the first day of the week, congregating, celebrating, communing in Your grace, enjoying the wonder of it all, and speaking, preaching, proclaiming from the top of our lungs what Christ has done in our life. This is our privilege. This is our call. This is our destiny. We pray in Christ's name.
Amen.